do they hear us now? Good. <laughs> Combo Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 113. That's right, 113 of Combo's Court and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app. would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you would like to support this podcast even further, check out the Combos Court Patreon page. You could become a Combos Court patron or get a Combo Statue membership where you'll have access to exclusive Patreon-only Combos Court episodes. Today's show, Ben Taylor returns to Combos Court. Ben is a cognitive scientist, author, and I highly recommend you subscribe to Ben's YouTube channel, Thinking Basketball. You could follow Ben on Twitter at LG35. That's E-L-G-E-E. 35. You know you can follow me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca on the track. Taylor thinking basketball welcome back man how you been I've been I've been busy how are you I'm doing well I'm doing well I listened to the podcast I heard the David Blaine story the plot twist I was waiting for is when he turned away I thought he was gonna say wait you sound just like the voice from thinking basketball that would have been a serious plot twist yeah how, how'd that go yeah. man how was it you lo- you learned some new tricks or what's what's the deal with it I have seen uh I wouldn't say I've learned it was new. It was just, I've seen most of the stuff he's done, I think, over the years. So it was just surreal to be in the midst of one of those, you know, pull out the deck of cards. But hey, look, you know, I think the real plot twist for me is a lot of people, a lot of people don't believe the story. That's, that's, that's crazy. I mean, why would you make that up? I, it's the internet these days. Who knows? Um, so what are we, what are we going to talk about today? You haven't even told me. Just have kept me in the dark. That's the point. So we get your real thoughts, not your premeditated <laughs> thoughts. You know a lot about basketball, so I'm sure you have great. Uh, we'll have a great conversation. Let's start with this. Let's start with this, Ben. Did you ever put any thought into to get a summary of how a player played through stats besides the regular assists, rebounds, points? A, a quick hitter that we would see like in a newspaper. Did you ever put a thought how we could get that done in a better way? Well, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's the that's the all in one idea, right? So, I mean, if, when you think about uh, a box plus minus, um, I think the first big one was PER, right? Just this idea of like, how can we, how can we summarize a player's value in one number? That's, that's what you're asking about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, or in a way that it's just fan friendly, but better than assist rebounds assist. Cause somebody could, it could look great in the stat sheet, but they didn't really play too well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're always, you're always going to have that challenge. I think, yeah. I think people have been trying to, cause it's a communication challenge. You're, you're at the end of the day, you're trying to say like, how can I describe how well this guy played in the game last night without diving into 18 different numbers and a bunch of context and well, yeah. you know, somebody, so-and-so got injured in the third quarter, so he wasn't guarding him. Like, yes. what's, what's the best way to do that? And 
you know, the unfortunate answer is it's really, really hard. Um, and so I think what we've done over the years is start with things that are more manageable. And that's where you get something like PER. The, the derivative of PER for a single game, by the way, was basically this thing called game score. Are you familiar with that? No. Yeah, I think Basketball Reference still has them up for all the old box scores. Right. But it's a, it's a similar kind of idea, even, even more rudimentary than PER, which is like, okay, can I look at this single number? And it goes through and looks at like points, rebounds, assists. It's, it's fairly basic. It's like, you know, if you scored points, that's good. If you grab some rebounds, each one has a little value. If you miss shots and, you know, commit turnovers, those have negative value. And I'll add it all up. And then I'll look at your game score. And if I see you had a game score of like 40, that's amazing. And if you had a game score of 10, maybe that's not so amazing. Right. Let's shift to Giannis. Um, I, I wasn't as high on Giannis as everybody else last season. And it's funny because I feel like he got so much better and now there's less hype. He got so much better in terms of passing and Kawhi as well. In your previous studies and just studying the game, have you seen superstars improve their passing during their prime? Because I always felt passing was something that's innate, something that you were born with. Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've done a lot of work on passing. Um, I've done passer studying, pa passing studies on some of these guys over the years. And the short of it, I, I think you're right in the sense that you have an innate sort of, yes. if, even if we call it innate, basically it's a thing that's developed by the time you get to the NBA. You have vision, you have awareness, you have anticipation, you have an inclination to pass, you have all these things. And that kind of will put you in a range. That'll put you in a box. But then as you go through your career, especially as a, as a star offensive player, you become more comfortable seeing different things on the court. You see different defenses. You get your brain gets used to seeing them over time. You learn different moves. And the game will slow, sort of quote-unquote slow down for you. Right. And so what, what we see a lot is I wrote a piece on Nylon Calculus last year about this with Jason Tatum and looking at sort of like what is a reasonable place for him to go as a passer because he's starting low so we know he's never going to be Magic Johnson right it's just it's just never going to happen but over the years you will develop the ability to pass at a higher rate at a higher level as you get more accustomed to the looks and having the ball and going through all that pick and roll stuff and just training it up and so the you know you'll never be magic but pretty much i don't want to say everyone but a huge amount of star offensive players will get better as passers in their late 20s and in their early 30s that's sort of what we see so part of the, well part of that is because athleticism is diminishing mm -hmm, but with Giannis, exactly. with but with Giannis, it's a little bit earlier than that you know it's like really like in the beginning of his prime he's becoming a better passer and reading the game better which is really surprising to me so I think some of that with him is space. Okay. Um, you know, Giannis has, I don't know how much I would say he's improved this year as a passer. Certainly last year, the ability to uh, hit certain reads, you know, he's coming down the court. And a lot of the times he has to understand if the defense, is if the defense collapses on me, puts up that wall that everyone's talking about right now, I'm going to have my, sh my shooters are running to the line, right? They're, yes. they're, they're spacing out to the corner. So those are the passes that I think he's really proficient at. 
in the half court, he's kind of has the same kind of understanding where he's like, look, if I get a, if I see a double or triple team, as I go down the lane, I understand that I have a shooter or I have that, that they call it that shaker, that guy that comes from the corner and lifts up. He knows where those pieces are going to be. But if you watch him and really go under the hood, you're ne- you, you are still not seeing like savant like reads he can't yeah. come up you know what i mean he can't yeah. come off the pick and roll and throw a lob early not, he's not Doncic out there no 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 i don't know <laughs> if you caught my my last video on luca but his his passing in some of these recent games has just been phenomenal ben anything you put out on luca i'm watching just know that all right okay all right well just some <laughs> some people have said why don't you just make the channel all luca well people say that about me because i was higher on him from the <laughs> beginning and people were yelling at me he's too slow that's over there in europe and I was like, this guy's going to be the best player. And, you know, I was right, Ben. I was right. <laughs> Isn't that its own conversation, though, just like how we have our preconceived notions about players? And even, even when we talk about old timers, right? Like, oh, Bird is too slow and he can't jump and all. Well, okay, what about Dirk? Okay, what about Nash? What about Luca? Like, it's if you have height and skill and the ability to do other things really, really well, it doesn't matter that much. I mean, we're not talking about five foot six people out here. You know, Luke yes. is like six eight. Yes. With a lack of with a, well, actually, his athleticism got a lot better. But do you think lack of athleticism allows you to slow the game down easier, get that done younger in your career? Mm, no, I, I don't think I would. I don't think I would phrase it quite like that. I mean, we're all used to if we play, we all get used to our own athleticism, barring huge, you know, Anthony Davis leaps in in height or whatever. Yeah. So, so we're all used to that. It's just some guys who are quick twitch and explosive like LeBron come along and see the game really clearly and slowly. And then some guys like Luca who aren't built like that come along and see the game. I mean, you've, if you've been watching him, which I think you have since yes. you know his days in Europe, he's been doing this for a couple of years. Time. Yeah. A long time. And his jump shot was even so fluid then. And I think it's going to improve and get to a higher level. I think that's the next level for him. The big one for me this year is the free throws. I think he's at 84% right now. He's at 71% last year, which was just too low for his stroke and his hand-eye coordination. He's got to be like a good 80-something percent free throw shooter. He gets to the line a lot. All right. Look, you know, a friend asked me around the time when uh, Jason Tatum and uh, Buddy Hield got big contracts. He asked me who was better. The way I grew up playing basketball and thinking about basketball, I would say Jalen Brown. But the way the game is played today, Buddy Heald, and I had that same thought watching Kyrie and Devin Booker. Like, to me, Kyrie is a better basketball player than Devin Booker. But the way the game is played today, it's pretty close, you know? Okay, interesting. So you're – so on Jalen and Buddy, you were arguing for, for Buddy. Yeah, I said – the way I grew up playing, like if, if this was 15 years ago – I would say Jalen is a better all-around player, but the value we put on shooting now, it kind of changes comparisons. You know, okay. In- uh, yeah, I, but I think in that case, I, I get the point you're making. Yeah. I, I, but I think in that case, Jalen is probably a good enough shooter as a 3 and D player, as a spot-up shooter, along with his ability to attack closeouts in space. I mean, that's the other thing that gets lost in this conversation, right? It's not just about spot-up shooting. It's how you move and then what you do when you catch that open look. You don't always have to hit that open look at 40%. If defenses are closing out on you, you give him that up fake. He's really good at one or two dribbles into the lane. The Joel, the Joel Embiid effect. 
Well, that is a what isn't that fun to watch? It's like slow it's like slow motion, but it works and you can't stop it. Yeah, it's, it's funny because like, you would think that would work with a smaller player because you, you think you might have the ability to block it. I yeah. Mean, jo- Joel Embiid is not a great shooter, and he's super tall. Like you probably wouldn't affect it even if you were even if he was a great shooter, you know? He's he's enormous and I think it's kind of like an avalanche when we when we watch from far away with the cameras. It looks like it's moving very slowly and we can all see it coming. But when you're in the lane and you're in the middle of it, he just all he gets that one up fake, you know, one dribble kind of Euro steps through about 12 people. You think there might be a car crash and then it's an and one. Why do people go for that pump fake? I, I really don't understand it. What are his predecessors now from, uh, from three? They are, I think they're a little up this year. Okay. The, the start of the season, he was shooting it well. But I mean, I don't think anyone is mistaking him for uh you know marco bellinelli or uh, steve <laughs> novak out there or something i mean it like seems that. like it from those from the way they're jumping out his pump fake it's a very convincing pump fake andrew <laughs> yeah. it kind of lulls you to sleep <laughs> <laughs> got you got you all right so, let's, oh go, go ahead go ahead oh no go ahead you got it no i was curious as to what you think uh more your where you think more of your listeners fall in that camp is are are they more inclined to uh a Jalen Brown. I mean, he does have sort of an old schoolness about his game in terms of his athleticism, the way he plays. He'll get into a he'll get into a mid range pull up occasionally, whatever it is. Versus these specialists like Buddy Heald. Um, I'm curious as to where your you think your audience falls. It's funny because I do these Instagram story polls, and I know exactly I know the young, who the younger followers are going to uh, pick in the mm. poll, and I know who the older followers. We'll pick in the poll, you know. It's it's all about demographic. I would say most older guys would say Jalen Brown, and I'd say the younger kids would say Devin Booker. I think Devin Booker is a little more box office too, so I think a younger follower would be more inclined to pick him. Here's here's my I mean, um yeah no go ahead. I mean I mean Buddy Hill, Buddy Hill and Jalen Brown. Yeah yeah. yeah, Here, yeah. So here's my question around that the demographic point. Do you think one of those groups, the older group or the younger group, do you think one is more receptive to so-called analytics, the, the three-point revolution, like all of the stylistic changes that we've seen in the game today? Or is, you know, or is the older crowd saying, go back to the, go back to the 90s? What, what do you, what's your impression of sort of how your audience takes in all the new things that have been happening? The older audience doesn't like the idea of analytics. They, they yeah. feel like it takes the heart out the game the passion out of the game and the younger followers are way, I don't think they even look at it as analytics. You know, they just see Steph Curry shooting a lot of threes. They think it's cool. And, and players that play like that, they like, cause they want to do that when they get on the court. Yeah. That, that, that is my impression as well. And I'm realizing, you know, like I think my next big mission statement is to try to figure out a way for everyone to speak the same language because you can't stop. I can't stop someone from saying I preferred the way the game looked in whatever year, 1994, 1982, 19, whatever you right? That's just a preference if someone has that. But I think the interesting thing that's happened is analytics has kind of become the boogeyman about that. And my thing is like, as, as we've been talking, you know, now and before it's like, look, these guys are trying to come up with strategic edges to win. It's just coaching staffs have always been doing this. Yeah. They're now just making sure they have their numbers and P's and Q's buttoned up because they have more information to guide them. There's a lot of analytics stuff, quote unquote analytics stuff 
that comes from scouts, film room, video coordinator, assistant coaches, that when you go into a series, creates beautiful dynamic basketball where all of a sudden you're like, hey, what if we put Joel Embiid on Pascal Siakam because he can't shoot threes? Right. What, what if we mucked up? The, so that's all the same thing. Like all of that lineups and substitutions and who guards who it's all the same thing. But I feel like, you know, the stylistic changes lately have, this is going to be my crusade. Now this is going to be my new crusade. It's trying to figure out a way to bridge, bridge, bridge the gap, the, bridge the gap. Yeah. What do you think? You think it's doable? I don't think so. I think, <laughs> no, well, you could find a way you're a smart guy. I believe you could find a way. But just, I see it. I, the way I looked at basketball now is just not the way basketball is played now. Like, just watching the game yesterday, Kyrie is a better all-around player. Like, his finish it, like, than Devin Booker. But his finishes around the rim, just, man, his innate ability to play basketball. Like, I feel like he's almost on a genius level. Like, the way Kyrie his shooting, plays. His shooting, is, his shooting is underrated, yeah. His shooting is underrated, but he can't shoot it like Devin Booker. Devin Booker is 90-50-50 right now. You know, yeah, but I think I think that's I don't think that's going to hold Ky- Kyrie shooting for the last couple of years has been and, and look, Devin Booker's a really good shooter. Right. Right. But I don't I don't think he's yet from the outside demonstrated what's 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 Booker's best free throw number so far. I don't know. Do you know? OK, um, we could look it up. If you talk, I'll I'll look it up in the background. Just stall. Yeah, no, and also Devin Booker. Well, first of all, I think Kyrie's a better basketball player. But I, what I'm just saying is for this, I could see why a younger kid would think that Devin Booker is better. And on top of that, Devin Booker gets his shot off quicker. And he does it more efficiently. He doesn't take as much dribbles. It's like these points are coming really quick and really efficient. So where were you? Okay, so I, I looked it up, by the way, in the background. Booker's about 86 87% wow. the last few seasons. He's 92 right now. But this is what I was saying. Here's Kyrie's free throw shooting going back to 2016. 89%, 91%, 89%, 87%. Jesus. This year, he's 93%. Yeah, nobody even looks at Kyrie like that. Yeah, you know, so that's what, I, I, I brought this up with Harden last year. Like, when you get good enough at other stuff, sometimes you just don't appreciate, like, whoa, Kyrie's actually, like, one of the better shooters going. Yeah, I never really thought about it like that. Yeah, and he's over 40% from three for three straight years. He is. Yeah, and you know the shots he takes. He takes a lot of those pull-ups and quick hitters off the pick and roll and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, to me, they may be too extreme of a comparison right now because I think Kyrie has established an offensive – you know, the things with him are off-court. He's established an offensive level over the last few years that is clearly in a a more elevated class. But, I mean, were you high on Booker before? Were you – where were you when, you know, the Suns were winning 20 games and he was putting up 70 points in Boston? Or were you, were you a Booker truther or are you sort of... Um... No, I was, I was concerned. I thought he was a good stats, bad team guy. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that's the interesting question. Like, he has, he's had all these skills, um, but, you know, you can see flashes of brilliance, but you can also see questionable things. I think the biggest thing with him this year has probably been defense. You know, he's had more energy yes. focused to, to defend uh, and I pointed it out in the video I did on him this summer. His, both his physical tools and some of his mechanics on ball were actually pretty good. Yeah. It's just, a, it's a question of everything else. And I think we've seen that. So I haven't watched too many Suns games, but when I checked in, he, he's got more energy on defense. He's more locked in. And you can see some of those tools coming to fruition on the ball, you know, fighting over screens much harder than he did last year, things like that. 
Well, to my listeners, I do believe Kyrie is a better uh, basketball player than Devin Booker. So don't. don't yeah, you're going to get in trouble on that. Yeah, I'm going to get in trouble because I'm actually higher on Kyrie than a lot of others. So this might uh, this might be a surprise to them. You were just talking about defense. You actually made a defensive video about LeBron, and even last year you had him as a plus defender. Yeah, because you you look at all the so so the short answer here is that we tend to focus on man defense because we watch the ball when we watch a game. Yes. But team defense is more impactful usually across every position because of all the rotations and all the help you got to put in the lane. It's very normal in basketball to get broken down at the point of attack. The question is how can the defense react on the back line and secondary help? So LeBron being such a high-profile player, uh, he got in trouble. He got flamed a lot for his – his moments of uh, what shall we call them being a little lackadaisical um, or right. But like when Kuzma pushed him. Yeah. But some of that, like, here's the ironic thing about that. Like Kuzma, especially last year. I mean, he's really poor defensively. He just, they they were trying and, and some of this is coaching staff. They were trying them at bigger positions, but when you, when you're used to playing certain positions and then you go play the four and the five, that's a defensive responsibility that you're not used to. So he just had no idea how to handle certain rotations, uh, how to play the angle or the side on certain pick and rolls when he's the defender guarding the roll man. Uh, it, it was just – so he's sometimes getting into situations where, like, he's running into places and then you shouldn't really be pushing – you shouldn't be, really be colliding with teammates. That was a weird play that got way too much attention. Um, yeah, that's what we do. Well, Ben, you know what? One defensive play could make somebody look so bad, and if we go to any player – like, obviously, your videos are great, but another person making a video could just show one play from a guy, and it'll make him seem like he's, like, of course, defender, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's – no matter how much I try to include, there's always an element of trust, right? I, yeah. I, I try to point out – because I'm, I'm pulling – if I pull three clips from a certain set, like, okay, let's talk about how this guy navigates mm-hmm. screens. I yes. might have 20 or 30 plays that I'm pulling those three clips from. Okay. What my, my goal – is to try to give you something that's representational of the player. If it's not typical of the player, I like to call that out and then say, this can happen from time to time. Or if it's a good thing, you say he's shown, he's shown these little flashes, but it's inconsistent. But we're just stuck because at a certain point, you got to trust that I'm not lying to you, right? Right. Because the only other way to show, show you that would be to literally show you 6,000 plays. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, and that's the, that's the fun and the beauty of talking about basketball. Right, of course. I mean, we could go we could look at a thousand plays from Michael Jordan and maybe I could pick that one out. He he was I'm sure he was lazy one time. Yes, I have them. On defense. Yeah, I have them. He oh, okay. Although <laughs> although to his credit, uh and I don't think this is talked about enough, you know, this could be its whole own topic and podcast. His motor was off the charts. 100%. I I mean, his motor was one of his best. You know, we talk about the hands and the athleticism and all this stuff his motor was crazy when he was there some of this was of course because he got to take the two years off but those second three-peat teams particularly the 98 season his 35 year old season where Pippen was injured and they they were toting out guys who were like end of the bench guys and he was still out there especially defensively just grinding every night practically how about the dream team he was up playing cards all night, probably smoking cigars, and he was like a savage on the court. He, yeah, he apparently liked to do that before playoff games as well. <laughs> Crazy. We don't even want to talk about what Rodman was doing. And then after practice, he used to get on the treadmill. 
after being out all night before the practice. <laughs> That's yeah. Rod- Rodman's is just pent up energy. His his whole game is pent up energy. You mentioned Kuzma's defense, and I was always of the believer that Kuzma's floor was higher than Ingram's, but Ingram's ceiling was higher than Kuzma's. Is that fair? I think so. You know, I, I, I've been having this conversation since Kuzma was a rookie, yeah. and Laker fans were like, oh, my God. I, I literally had a Laker fan compare Kuzma to James Worthy. And, you know, my thing was, okay, you got a professional scorer. That's what Kyle Kuzma is. And so that has value. That's a great late, late draft pick. And you can plug into key teams. Like you can see the Lakers are playing really well. He's going to have a role as a score, whether it's with second units, you know, fourth guy on the starting unit, whatever it is. But when you're a professional score and you can't be great on ball and you're probably don't have much of a ceiling on defense, that's not an overall like star high ceiling player. Whereas, whereas Ingram uh, at least has that two way, you know, uh, he can be good defensively. He's got some skills on ball. He's got some versatility. For Ingram, the biggest thing for me is his shot. Catch and shoot, too, which makes his options. It's almost like he has to be a go-to. Ingram? Yeah. I suppose. I mean, he's, you got to have the skills. But yeah. I, I think if, like, what I really want to see from him this year, everything in New Orleans aside, is, is that shot really at a place where because because if he's shooting a high volume of outside threes both catch and shoot and sort of when he's an on-ball operator now you can't sag off now you can't go under it opens up other parts of the game right and you're not saying he's going to be Kevin Durant but that is the thing that I think gets him to kind of stardom like in that conversation all right looking back at Westbrook's you know what it was three years in a row triple double the average triple double yeah, well, he's, on, he's got the streak going right now. Wow, could be four. All yeah, right, so I guess well, probably, probably not going to be four, but... <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe we're not looking back, but how historical is it? I mean, because if we would have said 10 years ago somebody's about to average uh, a triple-double for three years in a row, we wouldn't even believe the person that said it. Um, but it just seems like some of the numbers are inflated. So where do you fall on all of it? I think... Like, how, how impressive is it? Well, that's a funny word, right? Uh, yeah. because because it's impressive in the sense that uh it's rare yes it's very difficult to do and it's impressive also in the sense that it shows sort of the kind of dynamic athleticism and skill that he has right but but if you're asking how valuable is it how much does it impact the game is it inherently better than like any other combination of those stats um I would say no, not really. Uh, he's a good rebounder. He's a great rebounder for a guard. But yes. the, re- the rebounding numbers in and of themselves are strangely inflated just because they've decided, well, now he's in Houston, but in, in Oklahoma City, you know, they said, we, we want to make sure that Russ is the guy grabbing and going. So, Stephen Adams, you box out, and Russ, you grab it. I had a stat somewhere. I can't remember what piece it was in last year. It may have been in Russell, uh, Russell's video. But Hughes, uh, Gold, Oklahoma City, let me see if I can get my teams right, man. O- Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma City, uh, their defensive rebounding percentage off of missed free throws, almost, point guards almost never grab those, right? It's yeah. a missed free throw. You're all, Oklahoma City, Westbrook is like off the charts. He's like orders of magnitude higher than any other guard probably ever. And that's by design to get into that grab and go. Uh, you know, put he's so good 
at pace and just driving it down your throat. So, you know, I hope that answers the question. It's all of those things are representative of good things happening, but the triple double mark in and of itself isn't inherently more valuable or impactful than any other combination of stats, right? Like think about it. You wouldn't say Westbrook is better than Michael Jordan because he averaged a triple double. Of course not. Right. So it's so I I don't, I think there's 10 players in the league better than Westbrook in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I I mean, he can't, you know, another thing is he can't shoot can't really shoot right anymore yeah it puts you at a disadvantage in the playoffs when you're playing yeah you can't shoot. yeah so yeah. whether whether peak westbrook i've certainly gone to bat for peak westbrook a couple years ago when he could still shoot being i don't know where i have him falling top five or top seven or whatever but i think now this version the last couple of years where he can't really shoot you take a lot off the table and if you're not getting a huge amount of that back defensively which i don't think you are with him you're sort of left with i mean he's a great passer puts an incredible amount of pressure on the defense, but you, you lose a little too much, I think. Have you ever solved the magic bird debate? Uh, <laughs> it, it's, I, a fu- it's a funny way to put it, but I know, you, you know you're a great person to ask because a lot of people will just, you know, they'll say who they prefer to watch. They won't actually look at the film games and games and hours and hours of actually analyzing the film. So I think you're I a think, great person to ask this. Who do you feel is the better basketball player? I think I did solve it. I okay. Think, I think I've mathematically proven that if you think one of those guys is definitively better than the other by some clear-cut margin, then you're probably missing something. Okay. They are – I have no problem saying I, – I have no problem choosing a bird season or a magic season as the best of them all. I have also no problem saying uh, maybe one of them, like for me, maybe magic had a little bit more career value. or what, I have no problem with that. But I think the fascinating thing about those players is how similar all the indicators are, like all the signals, all the stats, all the performance. So you have a lot of people default to like five rings over three rings. Aren't my thing. If rings are your thing. Okay, go for it. But yeah, they were so good. Um, They had such similar sort of overlapping careers. Bird was bird was better early because he came in older and then Magic really ramped up in 83, 84 and just had an incredible run. But um, I, I really think there's nothing we've ever seen and we have a decent amount of information and film on these guys. And, and heck, man, I mean, aging myself, these are the guys I watched when I was a kid and started growing, growing up and like getting into basketball. I think the mathematical proof is that if you think one is clearly better than the other, um, you, you, you don't have solid ground to stand on. So who do you have after all your analysis? Um, I, I think in my all-time player series, I gave a, a career, the career nod a little to Magic. Um, I have for a long time had a preference for Bird at his best. Yeah, I think, I think, I think Bird's peak was better than Magic's yes, peak. Yes, exactly. But So I think 86 Bird is, the, is probably the best season between the two of them. But, I mean, Magic is an interesting guy in that Everyone talks about like 87 magic as an historical season. And the Lakers were an all time great team that year. But some of the stuff he did in like 1990, 1991, playing a different way, playing, he had more post-ups then. Kareem was gone. He just was at such a, such a freakish level of everything. Um, I think that at least I, I, I revisit it from time to time. Let's put it that way. All right. The game has changed so much, Ben. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, on this current podcast we're doing right now. Um, 
Do you believe most trends hit a tipping point and then it'll change up? Yeah, to a degree, yeah. I, I, think, I think you do see an evolution of things that kind of stick, you know, spacing. Yeah. Um, rules have allowed for more ball handling. The more ball handling leads to, at one point, more isolation and then pick and roll. Like, I do think things evolve and stick as kind of guiding foundational things. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you're asking you know small ball small ball lineups did they are they a kind of a thing that maybe is going to tip back on you know will have bigs be successful i think stuff like that happens sure so where do you see it heading well i i think i mean it's going to be if i had to predict i would say it'd be lakers and philly in the finals and there'll be a lot of bigs playing in that if i'm right um but where do you feel the game is heading to with all your analysis where is it trending towards in in the immediate future? Yeah, or in the future. Okay, here here's the one that I'll leave you with. I okay. think mo- I think movement, I think we still have more to come on movement. I got a movement video in the can that's ready to come out at some point. I got to I got to finish it up and figure out when to publish it. But I don't just mean your Steph Curry movement back I mean sp- sprinting into screens. I mean wow. All the kind of stuff we're seeing with you see it more a little bit more when you watch FIBA, I think. Yes. You know, guys play fewer minutes so they can put the accelerator on the floor. I talked about this in my last Thinking Basketball podcast with load management. Load management is such like a funny term and you have all these weird debates. The interesting thing to me about load management is really about the evolution of movement and the evolution of style. And I still think there's even more there. I think we can have offensive plays and offensive systems where when we look back in the past, much like we do now when we look back at old film, young fans will go, wow, they just stood around. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing that I think is interesting. And it, t- it ties into load management because it requires more intensity. Like the way Manu Ginobili played, what if just everyone played like that on every play all the time? Obviously, you can't play 40 minutes like that. But maybe you get more strategically out of all of your players and all of your sets. And that's the thing I, I, I keep looking for more in that department. All right. Let's, let's end on this. Is Luca a top five player right now or a top 10? <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely. I, no, not top five. I think it's an interesting question to see how far he – I mean, if he – God, the last – couple games he's just had some incredible performances if you keep that up I think he'll definitely be in kind of like that top 10 conversation when players are this good and this young for me personally I always like a year or two to go back and understand right. the, the arc with a clearer picture you know you refine his rookie year a little bit you say like okay well I know in the first half of his rookie year he was doing whatever as he was getting you know acclimatized but Second half of the season, God, he's starting to look more like he did in his second year. And then you get more of a sample. You get more teammates and more, you go, okay, this dude's been doing this since his second year. Maybe he was, you know, top eight two years ago. So right. I, when you're this good, I always like a little uh, distance in the rearview mirror to just like appreciate and contextualize what's happening. But no, I don't think right now top five, but um, man, he's definitely, he's, he's, he's playing at an all NBA level. The question is, is it going to be higher? Right. I believe the same. I, I, he's, he's around top 10. I'm not sure if he's there yet. Uh, definitely not top five yet, but it's funny. I think it was the same thing with Trey. Uh, 
which was the real Trey, the first half of the season or the second half, you know? And uh, I think we're starting to find out. It seems like it was more the second half of his rookie year will be Trey Young. Do you think, um, now that you went there, we just, we'll just tease everyone with this. Yeah, why not? Do, do you think Trey and Luca is a viable debate, or do you think it's a little more Darren Williams, Chris Paul, and that uh, I, as good as Darren Williams was, I think Chris Paul always, always kind of had an inside track on a, on a higher level. Yeah, I think it's lopsided. I think Luka Doncic yeah. is more generational, but I think Trey will be a multiple-time all-star. Yep. Uh, yep. The issue with Trey is deep in the playoffs, will he be a even okay help defender? Like, he might be non-existent right, right. as a help defender. Yeah, that, that's the huge concern is the, is the help defense. And, you know, the, the thing with the playoffs is always interesting, too. You can, you can break down a guy's game as much as you want, but that doesn't mean you're going to get 100% prediction when he gets to the playoffs, you're going to be like, like Giannis last year, a, a lot of smart people said, okay, there's going to be scheme ability. You're going to be able to take away certain things. I was a hundred percent with that. Man. Right. Right. But it's different, but it's different when you finally see it, you know, not a hundred, it doesn't always play out a hundred percent of the time the way you think it's going to play out. So that's a whole nother reason why I like a few years of, of, of seasons to look at because then you get the playoff perspective and you can start to say like, okay, you know, against this defense, they took this away, but he came back the next year and he added this little thing. That That's where the real, like, you get into the real nuance and fun wrinkles. So, yeah, right, I man. mean, I mean, obviously Kevin Durant isn't Luca and uh, Trey isn't Steph Curry or vice versa. But I mean, when you're the taller player, I mean, you just have so many more options when they're zoning in on you in, in like a final series. And we saw it with those guys. And where can oh, we man. find you? Where, right. where can we find you? I don't know. I'm, I'm just in my office all the time watching basketball and then trying to create content about it. Um, thinking basketball, YouTube channel, thinking basketball podcast, And you can find me over. Oh, I always forget the most important one. Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. It's where my subscription cert, you get like extra uh, articles, stats about things I release um, sometimes extra like film footage, director cut early release, things like that. So thanks, Ben. You're always welcome back on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Combos Court. Big shouts to Ben for joining in. We appreciate you. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combos Court. Check out the Combos Court Patreon page. Link is in the description for that. You could become a Combos Court patron or go grab that Combo Statue membership. Take a screenshot of this episode. Post it on your IG stories. Tag me at 1-2-Combo. I'll repost it. Be on the lookout. For episode 114, Combo out.